Jumping straight in without further ado, the living PC. So the neurons in a human brain use spikes to communicate with each other. Now, if you can do the same thing with fungus, you can effectively have a computer. A spike is a one, no spike is a zero, and all of a sudden you have bits. So scientists have been starting to utilize this technology for that purpose. So the living PC is using mycelium, which is a vegetative part of fungus itself that is used as a biological processor. So it's using the sugars converted as electrical signals and therefore powering electronic devices is something that will occur. The PC, it currently is limited. It doesn't have as much power as what we'd expect the PC to have. It's not gonna be as fast as what we expect a current PC to have, but it's in its early stages and a technology like this will continue to be refined and they will explore new ways to better it, make it faster, make it something you'd actually wanna use. So the potential to use this would be like, your phone could be completely powered by fungus and therefore not even need a battery, which would be great for the environment, a good change that could happen. It could be completely biodegradable, even power entire buildings if they refine this enough, which is a great thing to see they're working on at least. And that's to say it might not go anywhere, but they're at least working towards other ways. And this is one of them and they have it functionally working here, which is fantastic. So pinch of benefits and drawbacks, I think are pretty straightforward. It's slower than a current PC, way better than a current PC in terms of environmental use. And just, you can't reuse lithium batteries. they not fully recyclable. Fungus, you just grow more. So this is a great way to get around that. Should ethical considerations be taken into account when looking at something like this? I think when it comes to something like a fungus, people aren't going to be too upset. But that said, they should be looking into, hey, if this fungus isn't meant to be in this area, how do we make sure that if a device is lost here, in like a river or you know cracked open that this fungus isn't going to hurt or ruin the environment that's something they're gonna have to figure out how to deal with maybe the phone has to be fully enclosed for sure and you know you have water resistance why not keep the insides in and when exposed to maybe air it has an issue so maybe this has to rely on a different source to live than just regular oxygen that we currently breathe but i think this is a cool technology that'll continue to develop further and further and be awesome just like Tesla's next release, Elon Musk has confirmed that the next Tesla vehicle will be capable of operating almost entirely autonomous mode, and that shouldn't be that shocking. So with drivers needing to only intervene in very specific situations, which you could argue is what they're pretty close to already, what he's really done is set a timeline for when the next release will be. For a new vehicle, we're looking at the self-driving is literally right there with very little need for a driver to take over. So we're years away basically from Tesla releasing a new vehicle, unless they have something up their sleeve here. So expect to see Tesla's autopilot technology in this, expect it to have great range, great power, be pretty straightforward for a vehicle. The move towards this autonomousness is significant. I mean, if this actually is the next car they release, is this going to be a robo-taxi? Is this going to be, they already have a semi, but something of that nature where it's capable of doing things on its own? And if so, that's just got to be something that we look at a little closer here because it could greatly reduce the cost of human error 
but it also could be introducing its own to an extent with other people being on the roads. It also can affect jobs. We could see, you know, if it is a taxi, that could put a, people might just buy taxis and let them drive around and just do it that way. Like run your Uber business basically and not have to think about it at all. And that will be a time that will come sooner than we think it will. So potential benefits and drawbacks of autonomous vehicles, I think it's pretty easy to list those off. Great for safety, great for the amount of vehicles on the road because all, all the vehicles can communicate together. If they're communicating together, they're looking out for each other, that traffic will just flow better. It's pretty simple. Well, there's a mix of both humans and autonomous devices on the road, that will be more of a problem. I think with that happening, we're going to see possibly a rise in accidents and such because you will have autonomous machines making split-second decisions and doing their thing, which is probably totally fine, but then you'll have humans reacting to that. And I think people are pretty unpredictable, especially for a computer to predict. So that would make these more dangerous. So will what regulatory frameworks will be necessary to ensure their safe and ethical operation? We're going to find out because... The truth is the technology is going to move way quicker than any law is going to keep up with it. So to an extent, these companies are going to be regulated by the people driving the vehicles, owning the vehicles, and themselves. Hopefully, if someone like a Tesla stays at the helm, they will be responsible with it and continue to try to work with other entities to build these vehicles safer. And on that note, building vehicles safer... 3D printed yachts are possibly here. So this is a concept, but Pegasus, a 288-foot 3D printed yacht, could be introduced to the market as soon as 2030. So this yacht looked crazy. Fully reflective, solar panels built into the windows. It'll be a wild device. So the use of 3D printing will allow these yachts to be completely custom designed, printed out, as well as potentially reducing the cost and lead time to build one of these. You could possibly build them even quicker. As I said, the superstructure glass includes transparent solar panels. They would power electrolyzers and help convert seawater into electricity that can be stored in lithium-ion batteries, meaning this thing could be fully self-sustaining out there in the water. No need for motors, no need for gas. Do it all right in-house. So the development of this technology could have implications for sustainability too. Being able to build these in places where you couldn't have built before because you didn't have the ability to. It also could be something that makes it easy to build ships wherever. Instead of needing to build in like a shipyard and then possibly be a Jeff Bezos who's got to tear down a bridge to get his mega yacht out. Instead of doing that, you put that 3D printer where you need to print, buy land on the shore, print it out there, push it off and you're good. All you gotta do is get material there. It makes it a lot easier to do it when material doesn't have to be as big because you can you know, bring it in chunks for a 3D printer. You don't have to necessarily have it all there immediately. As we've seen with 3D printers when it comes to printing homes, you just bring in the cement. Nothing else has to be there. It makes it a lot tighter. You don't need as big of a space to build these things with many people. It's, it just ends up being pretty simple. So that would be cool to see if it ever becomes real. Thing looked wild. It's worth looking up on your own. So what to extent do you think 3D printing technology will disrupt traditional manufacturing? And this is specifically towards the yachting industry. 
I think there's going to be a lot of things that 3D printing interrupts everywhere. As these materials get better at being 3D printed, as we get better at printing with materials that are going to be stronger and more resilient, we're going to see 3D printing take over a lot more things. Buildings is a great example, being able to 3D print structures, just one story, two story homes even. It's actually quite a bit cheaper than doing it even with wood for smaller things. So until we can do that with larger buildings, it's going to take a little while. Until we can do it more consistently with products, it'll take a little while, but it can happen and it will happen. We're just waiting for it to get there. Essentially, you know, having fully autonomous factories are pretty similar to 3D printing. We're just eliminating all the machines into one. So this is something that you could see revolutionize a ton of industries with being able to make things quickly by just printing things out. You want to build something, build it in your software, send it to the printer, and the printer does the rest. Especially if we get to the point where they can use multiple materials, like if you needed steel and plastic and you know carbon fiber, you could just print with all those materials. It'd be a pretty wild time to be building new things, just things in general. It'd be awesome. So this new camera can take pictures at one trillionth of a second. So researchers developed this camera to enable studying of a dynamic process uh, in extreme detail. This process is called dynamic disorder, and it is the collective fluctuation of clusters of atoms within a much larger structure. So this is something that they haven't been able to like freeze before. What you could do before is see motion blur in the photo of, to see where the structures moved, but you wouldn't be able to make out an exact sharp image of these things. So what this is going to possibly be used for, what this is going to be good for, is thermoelectric devices, such as solid-state refrigerators, heat pumps, and also better recovery of useful energy from wasted heat. So think of cars, exhaust, you know, power exhaust stations. You could take that and put it right back into the electrical grid instead. So that said, being able to take heat from radioactive you know, plutonium and convert it to electricity could be a very effective way to have electricity on Mars. And it's one of the things that was used to power the Mars rover when there was not enough sunlight. The development of this ultra-fast technology has applications beyond this too, including for you know, new cameras for commercial use, this could be a great way if cameras are able to see this much faster. Think of autonomous cars. That could be a great use for that if the price gets down enough. And I'm sure there's other applications. Even just regular photography, it could be a great add-on to be able to be able to take something that fast. Imagine freezing the frame that well. So how might this technology be able to understand the world better around us, including medical and biological? The other way I could see this being used is studying the human brain or just movements in the body, being able to freeze movements in the brain, freeze actions. If you can use something like this to capture you know, neurons working or how eyes are moving, stuff like that where you can catch the micro in something, it could be a great way to learn more and more about the, how the human body works, for example. Even in plant life or other animals, it could be a great application to use it there. As this continues to evolve, you know, what other applications could there be? Uh, beyond that, it could be cool to see other things too, as in how bacteria is moving around, which they can probably already capture with current speed cameras. 
there will be other uses that smarter people will figure out. And smarter people, just like our best friend here, who has created a new electric trailer that will not actually take any battery power away from your vehicle. So if you have an EV, you can buy this RV trailer called the L1 from Lightship. Now this maintains the full EV range of your towing vehicle. The way it's doing that is co-founder Ben Parker, who used to be a Model 3 battery technician, was just going to food trucks to get lunch. He noticed that, you know, gas is emitting from here. We got helium, we're not helium. <laughs> we got propane coming out. We got regular gas coming out. Not awesome. So how do we solve this? We need an electric one. But as we know, and as we're learning here, electric vehicles actually suck at towing. Not from a power perspective, not from a weight perspective, but you know, your battery life will disappear very quickly. So that wasn't solved yet. And it turns out that about 1 in 10 Americans owns an EV or operates an EV. So, sorry, RV. And so he solved that. What he solved it with here is it's got its own electric power terrain with an 80 kilowatt battery, allowing the tra trailer to propel itself behind the towing vehicle offer net zero range loss. So if you have a 300 mile range electric pickup truck towing 7,500 pounds when fully loaded, the L1 will maintain near full estimated range. In fact, Lightship's co-founder told us that the combustion towing trucks towing the L1 actually gained fuel efficiency thanks to its shape. Now, if you're wondering about the shape, it's actually a 27 foot trailer that measures eight and a half feet wide and it can power up and down from 6 feet 9 inches mode and all the way up to 10 feet tall, offering the capability to sleep anywhere from 4 to 6 people. The other thing I would note is this looks very similar to if you were to take the front of the Cybertruck, go up to the top, and then you have the flat area, extend that out, and then put the front of the Cybertruck going down the back. And then make it shorter than like an F-150. Like about bed height. And that would be pretty close to what this looks like, if you can picture that. So production for this is looking like it's going to start in late 2024. Lightship expects to sell the L1 EV for $125,000. Now, the co-founder also shared this price point is nowhere necessarily near the top. That's just, in my guess, probably the starting price point for this trailer. But it's fully customizable from the images we saw. It looks pretty nice. It must pull pretty nice. And the co-founder here, Ben Parker, seems to know what he's doing here. Now, what role do you think RV trailers like the L1 will play in a larger transition? I think this is going to be a great way to, until electric vehicles get more efficient, way more efficient, that for towing things, this would be a great way to do it. Companies offering retrofits to trailers, adding you know new trailers with batteries, for you know hauling equipment for boats for rvs stuff like this i think being able to put a little battery pack in there not only does that make it so that say you were going to go camping for a while maybe you have some extra battery you can just use that instead of necessarily having to plug in if there's no plugs or if you're on a road trip you don't need the plugs now you get some extra batteries so this could be a win-win on two sides here now how can they keep, you know, helping with the lack of range charging. 
there's a lot of questions with this. If you're towing one of these trailers and you need to charge your EV, do you also need to charge this at the same time? Can you take the two slots? Are you going to unhook your trailer so you can reach two things at the same time? Or are they going to have to go out of their way to add charging infrastructure in remote areas to be able to charge both of these up? Because once the trailer dies, can we be able to disengage the motor so that you can keep going? Or are you going to be dragging this thing now, which could potentially be even worse for your range and make things even tougher for you? So hopefully this will be at some point kind of figured out here and we'll just have to wait and see as more of these get popular and are on the road how it really works out in the real life next up we have the pixel fold has leaked possibly many times and this time with possible pictures the pictures weren't super clear but it does from what the user said have a pixel visor which would probably be a google phone now, it also looked like it was a folding phone from the images, which weren't very clear, as I said. But what typically happens with a Google phone is we get many, many leaks. And the closer we get, the more early hands-on videos we get, the more photos we get, the more we see them in the wild. And they're pretty recognizable, and usually all the rumors are correct, as they've gotten with so many other companies now, too. But Google, super notorious for it. So this device may be released later this year based on that we're actually getting real images, real photos, real video of it for finally. And I mean, Google has already gone out of their way in the past to reveal the main design of the Pixel 4 and headlining features months before the launch. Same thing happened with Pixel 7 handsets. They got a teaser at IO 2022 last May. Therefore, it wouldn't be super surprising to see possible Pixel Fold teasers here at Google's I.O. event coming up. Now, I wouldn't expect to see it released, but possible teasers to see it coming out later this year. We might get to see some of the pictures of it, maybe even some specs, possibly. So the big deal here for me is Pixels currently offer a standout Android experience, unlike any other phone. Cameras stand out, therefore Google making a foldable foldable phone is a big deal when it comes. Developers might also be more open to making things work better on these devices, which we've seen from so many other companies. So having Google making it is actually kind of a big deal if they decide to go ahead and do it. <coughs> How do you think the folding phone, like the Pixel Fold, will change the way we interact with our devices? As somebody who uses a folding phone, being able to open websites on their emails, there's a lot of uses that are great to have a bigger screen and being able to have something that's smaller in your pocket. So having a device that kind of does both, it's not necessarily super smaller, but it fits well compared to putting like a full-on iPad in your pocket is a great way to interact. And as these devices get smaller and thinner, it'll become an even better way to use a phone. So what challenges will Google need to overcome as a mainstream product? As somebody who has a folded phone, uh, they are not great when it comes to a lot of things because apps are just not optimized. They're not great for when you fold it open. If you're already doing something, apps don't auto resize. They usually have to restart. Some apps don't even support things. They're missing certain features. It's just kind of a mess, which is why if a main player like Google came in and went out of their way to make a folding phone, 
as the people that make Android, not only would the core software get better, but more developers would also just go out of their way to support said device. And that just helps everybody, especially in the Android world. If Google's not doing it, the odds that it gets super supported is not great. But Google has gone out of their way to make it work great with YouTube, add other features, help work with Samsung. And I'm sure they've worked with some of the other companies to also add some features. But I know Samsung for sure. So hopefully this would lead to Google pushing it more and more and working to make it better and better for the end user and benefit more than just Pixel users. We've seen Google in the past with other devices say, hey, this new photo feature came with this phone. And then six months later, hey, this new feature is coming to Android or coming to you know Google Photos. So everybody can use it with any device pictures. So hopefully the same thing would occur here. Maybe they won't keep it as much to themselves, but we'll see it come and stay for a while.